This is Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. Trying, the George Porter Jr. Trying. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. Thank you, Denver. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All righty, once again, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show, broadcasting live out of the city of Chicago. It is a beautiful night, beautiful, unseasonably weather for fall. Yes, it is still fall. Winter hasn't gotten here yet, but it feels a little balmy outside. But we're not complaining. Believe me, we are not complaining because we know what's around the corner. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Thanks for tuning in. My guest today is Tamika Williamson. And she will be talking about free college. Free college. Now, that's something I think a lot of us with young children need to know. Believe me. Free college. Uh, I'm pretty sure she's just going to be talking about it because it's not reality, but it's okay to hear what she has to say, you know. Try to convince us that there is actually free college, but everything in, in America is about profit. You know, everything is financially profitable, especially for those at the top and not so much for those at the bottom. All righty. Uh, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're just getting on the air, folks, and we're still trying to make the world a better place. We are still trying to do that. I've been trying to do that for the longest. I can't do it by myself. I can't do it without you. But there are so many nutcases out there, it's, it's making it hard to do. All right, so still trying to make the world a better place, one show at a time. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. Hate has no home here at all. I, I always put that on the marquee. Hate has no home here because I don't want anybody on the show who hates. I don't want nobody calling into the show who hates because I've had that. I mean, I've had callers. I've had people who just just were total assholes, and uh, they know who they are. Uh, you were born to be an original, don't be a copy. I thought that was nice. I just added that in there. I thought it was beautifully said, uh, well said. Uh, be nice to one another out there. That is so easy. Stop. Yeah, that's one way of making the world a better place. But there are so many people out there that are helping others who are actually in need of that help, and that's beautiful. And I applaud all of those folks out there. I applaud so many of those guys out there um, – men out there who are mentoring and nurturing young young men, young boys, teenagers who might find themselves out uh, in the streets and gangs, you know, uh, shooting or being sh- shot. You know, there's so many mentors out there and I want to thank them. My hand goes out, my hand goes up to them and um, because we need that. All of that is... Uh, uh, in with making the world a better place, a better place to live, a better place for you, a better place for me, a better place for all of us. But we have so many people out there who are trying to dismantle everything, take away your happiness, take away just about everything that you've accomplished, everything that, is, that has been been accomplished in America for the last 100, 200 years. Uh, they're trying to roll all of that back in, in the guise of uh, making America great again, in the guise of... Uh, you know, we're doing this for, for the betterment of America. They're doing it for the betterment of their selves, of their donors, of their 
uh, rich friends and partners. This is what they want to do. They want to tear America down, dismantle it, and rebuild it in their image, which is not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to, that, that's a pipe dream for them. And it, it's always astonishing to me that so, uh, let me try to rethink this, that there is a small ma- majority of people in Congress who are out to hurt so many people throughout America. There are 320 million Americans in this country. And there's a uh, maybe a two or 300 Republicans in Congress. And these two or three, and these handful of Republicans are trying to destroy life for 300 million, million people. It doesn't matter whether they are Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, or whatever. They know that they want to make life harder for you and me. This tax reform, that's going to make it harder for you and me. I mean, they're coming after your home. They're coming after your, your, the money that you put in the bank. They're trying to make things harder for you to make it harder for you to complain, make it harder for you to sue, make it harder for you to stand up for yourself and to stand up for your family in the guise of making America great again. I mean, America has never been great under this administration. We've been going downhill steadily and quick and fast. It, it, so I guess what the George Wilder Jr. Show is saying, stand up for yourself. Don't let these people in Congress uh, put you out on the street because that's what it looks as if they're trying to do. They're messing with your 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 deductions, your mortgages on your home. They, they're making it harder for you to pay your mortgages, raising mortgages or... or or trying to eliminate deductions uh, of all kinds that you uh, may have when you're trying to uh, sell your home. or uh, They're just, I mean, if you don't know about this, it's all over the Internet, and it's all over the news that they're screwing with homeowners all over the place, and they're screwing with every worker out there. I've said this a ton of times. Donald Trump and his and his administration, they have a war on the American people. He's coming after you. North Korea launched another missile. Yeah, they launched another missile. You might have heard about it. But the but the Donald Trump administration, they're not focusing on a on a missile that could probably hit New York or hit Los Angeles hit California, you know, as a whole, they're focusing on you and me. They're focusing on what, what is making us happy, what is making us, uh, uh, what is making us live the life that we're living so they can find out and try and destroy that. They're focusing on you and me. Instead of focusing on that missile that might hit the U.S. mainland, that could hit the U.S. mainland, and these guys are are are, uh, are uh, testing the United States. The Trump administration is focused on your pocketbook, trying to make you pay more, trying to make you pay, trying to uh, re- uh, make things so out of reach that 
it's going to devastate your entire life and your family. That's what these people are about. That's what these people are about. And in in everything that this guy tried to do, it's against Americans. It is totally against Americans. It's against it's, it's against Americans' values, but they don't give a damn. I'm just reading something here. Uh, Eli Manning has been benched. Yeah, if you don't know who Eli Manning is, he I'm taking a diversion here. Uh, he's a star quarterback for the uh, New York Giants, and the and they have an atrocious record, disastrous record. I think they're. I think that's why he's being benched because, you know, he can't seem to win any games or anything. Okay, New York Giants bench Eli Manning as a disastrous season continues. They have a disastrous season. That's why they're benching him. They're saying, hey, wow, we're going to bench you, sit down, and we're going to put another quarterback in here. But this is news because Eli Manning has been with the New York Giants like forever. And he has been a star quarterback, uh, almost adjacent to his brother, um, Peyton Manning. All right, New York Giants announcing Tuesday that the team was bench star quarterback Eli Manning for the uh, upcoming game. Um, Manning, who has started every game since 2004, 2004, was gracious about the decision. And uh, the 36-year-old was visibly emotion, speaking to reporters on Tuesday about being benched. He was almost crying. Wow. Because um, he's just having a horrible season. The man is almost crying. I'm sorry if you're out there, you're listening, and you don't care for football or sports of any kind. I just had to had to mention this because uh, yeah, Eli Manning. I mean, it's like he's like a um, fixture for this team, and they're gonna sit him down because he's having a, a disastrous season. I, I believe they're like one in twelve. I'm not sure, but I know. Um, in the standings, they're pretty down there. They're down there with the Bears. You know, the Bears are in the gutter. The New York Giants are in the gutter. Uh, the Bears should be firing. Um, everybody in Chicago is saying if the Bears should be firing John Fox, the coach of the Bears. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. He lost it. If he, if he, <laughs> if he, if this guy was any kind of a coach in the past, he surely lost it because the Bears are what? What are they? Three and. Um, I think they're three and ten, three and eleven, three and eleven. I think they have four more games to play, and uh, we've given up on the playoffs. I mean, uh, if you think about it, John Fox has a worse record than Mark Trussman or Lovey Smith when they were coaches uh, for the Bears. Lovey Smith, at least I give him credit. I mean, he he has taken the Bears. I mean, once or twice to the playoffs. Uh, Trustman, I think, took the Bears to the playoff once, and and but this guy here, this <laughs> this John Fox, uh, they should fire him. I think they should have fired John Fox uh, on last Sunday when the Bears lost uh, three to, um, I think it's three to thirty-five or something like that. And the uh, Eagles, the the team that they were playing, the Eagles, the Eagles could have easily ran the score up on them. So, but they was gracious not to run the score up on the Bears, and the Bears just 
the bear i mean if you watched that bears game last last sunday it was the whole team just broke down it was silliness it, the bears look silly and philly someone said i want to copy that <laughs> they look silly and philly all right you've been listening to the george water junior show on blog talk radio wow this is something this is something all right uh, tamika williamson is the guest on the show for the for today if that should happen oh man i got a ton of people wanting to wanting to be on the show and we have to do a lot of booking for december you know and uh, we're going to be doing that by the end of this week because i know a lot of people are waiting to get on the show and uh, i'm i'm so um um appreciative of that and um i'm just so appreciative of, of that trying to get this point made over and over again this they're not protesting the flag they're not protesting the anthem no 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 athletes ever said one bad thing about it Bring in my first guest, senior political commentators Van Jones and Mike Shields, also Republican strategist Rick Wilson. I have to start with this question. Van Jones, I'm going to ask you first. Does this president have no sense of decency? Well, apparently not. I mean, <clears throat> part of what I think is, is so tragic is that this was a tremendous opportunity for the country, not just President Trump, but for the country 
to finally give due credit to people who helped to win this war. Those code talkers, um, any other language, uh, the Japanese and Germans were prepared to break the code. Mathematically, they're prepared to break the code. These Navajo code talkers were the only people who were able to, sort, to, to get communication in that war. They saved hundreds of thousands of American lives. Iwo Jima was won because of them. They've never been truly honored, and today was that day. A community of people who, you know, frankly, every treaty we ever signed with Native Americans have been violated over and over again. They could have sat that war out. They didn't, and this was their day, and he crapped all over it, being an insult <laughs> comic, dragging in a, a completely irrelevant issue. It was disgusting. It was despicable, and I feel so sorry for those guys in their 80s, in their 90s, their one moment ruined by this president. Mike Shields, the president honoring Native American World War II heroes, and his brain immediately goes to the word Pocahontas? Yeah, look, I, I, I agree with Van in that this is a great opportunity to honor those heroes, and everyone watching this should go and read up on it because they are, they are more than worthy of all of our admiration and what they did for our country. The only explanation I can come up with is, is tone deafness and thinking that they would agree with him because I believe probably, I'm just conjecture here, that the president is thinking that Elizabeth Warren has been so offensive to Native Americans by claiming their heritage, which is something that they deal with all the time. There are plenty of Americans who try to appropriate Native American uh, heritage, especially to get ahead and to have their name put into college law yearbooks and the things that Elizabeth Warren did. My guess is he said it thinking, well, these guys are going to agree with me, and he's learning a lesson once again, I believe, hopefully, that that's inappropriate. You can't say that. That's a word that they're going to find offensive, and they're not going to think it's funny. And that's the only thing I can come up with. I don't think he should have done it. I think it was offensive, and I think it, it, it took away from, from the great event today. But I also do think it is worth talking about why he thought that, which is that he criticizes Elizabeth Warren and uses this phrase because of what she did as well. I just don't. I can't let I, I that just, I, can't even, I, I, I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, Mike, it's... Look, I, Really? I, I appreciate I appreciate you acknowledging that what he uh, said was was offensive and inappropriate, and, and I, I, I thank you for trying to psychoanalyze it. The problem with you doing it though is that you introduce these talking points about Elizabeth Warren and all the crimes she's committed against people. She was taught as a child, as many people in America were, uh, that they had a Native American ancestor. Uh, there is no evidence at all that she uh, was that she's uh, right or wrong on the actual claim. But the idea that she somehow got ahead. And that you know that her whole success is is, is, is uh, due to this. I'm not is saying just all of her success. It, I'm not saying all her success. But if you're if you're being listed in law yearbooks as the only minority that's been hired at Harvard, and you're allowing that to go forward based on a lore, that is precisely what a lot of Native Americans find offensive. That people appropriate I, without any evidence I, their heritage. You would to be get correct, ahead. sir. That's offensive as well. Let me tell you something. You, you if if today if tonight. Uh, the major Native American organizations came out and said the president is right and denounced uh, Elizabeth Warren, we'd have a different conversation. They came out and denounced the president because what the president did was inexcusable. Yeah. Well, so I, listen, I, let, me, let me just read this. Let me, let me read this, okay? Uh, this is from The Atlantic, and I promise you I'm going to let you, Rick, get in. This is from um, The Atlantic in 2012. There is no evidence that Warren ever used claims of Native American ancestry to help her get a job. While Warren was listed as a minority in the Association of American Law School's Directory of Faculty, she had declined to apply as a minority to Rutgers Law School 
and had listed herself as white while teaching at the University of Texas. The head of the committee that recruited Warren to Harvard also said he had no memory of her Native American heritage ever coming up, and the 1995 Harvard Crimson article reporting on her tenure made no mention of it. But she still maintains to this day the lore evidence as I'm opposed to real evidence. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong what she did, but do you know how many, Van, do you know how many black folks in America think that they are, have Native American ancestors and they go to get their ancestry done? It's like there is no Native American anywhere. <laughs> Your grandmama was, uh, was an Indian. She but was that's Native not American, okay, right? But she said she learned that from her family, and I can certainly understand that as, as someone who has been taught that we have Native American she ancestry. She could go to ancestry.com right now and fix it, so, and, tell, and then that's use what it I'm as saying, a teaching unless you get it done. And we don't know if it's true or if it's not. And if she used it in that manner, then it's wrong. But there are a lot of people in America who have been taught that, and the facts don't bear it out. It doesn't mean that they use it to get ahead. Rick Wilson. And, and if there is a time to correct uh, the record for Elizabeth Warren, I don't think stepping on the co-talkers moment yeah. was the time. Yeah, well, I agree Rick. with that. Right. But look, <clears throat> the, the, this is a matter that is not about Elizabeth Warren. As Van said, and as the history uh, of, the, of the war, particularly in the Pacific, records, these men were a heroic unit. They, they, they moved mountains to save American lives. And the president should have had the dignity, the stature, the presence of mind, and, and, and the sense of purpose that their visit in the Oval Office was to honor their service, to honor their sacrifice, as these are the last, the last of the code talkers. Instead, he has to make it about his personal beefs. He has to make it about this petty crap that always obsesses him, because he's a guy who grew up in the page six culture in the New York Post, where who's up, who's down, he's always beefing with people. It's like, it's like the worst dullest rap beef in the universe. And, and, the, and the fact of the matter is Donald Trump could have left that on the table if he had the slightest sense of dignity, the slightest sense of honor, the slightest de desire to, to truly respect the, the service of these men. But he doesn't. It's all about him. He's completely inwardly directed at all times. And, and, the, and so, of course, you end up defining the presidency further and further down. And what really irritates me today, honestly, Don, the, the thing that irritated me even worse than the president, look, the president is a congenital jackass. He's always going to behave this way. What really bothered me even more was that Sarah Sanders went out at the podium, a federal employee, and defended the president using a racial slur. That was disgusting. She should be fired. In a, in a civilized, dignified world, she would be fired because she's gone out to, 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 to in service to, you know, a guy who is who is mindfully using racist terms and, 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 ra and framing this in a, in a way that is just disgusting. Mm. Um, listen, the Navajo Nation responded today. This has been this whole talk about whether this is a racial slur or not. It is. I can't believe we're even at a point where we're trying to decide if something is a racial slur and then having the White House try to gaslight people. No, it's not a racial slur. He didn't mean it in a derogatory, in a derogative manner. What else was he using it for? To compliment her by using a name that is you know, for a Native American, and people, the Native American people, have already said it is an insult. Stop using it, and then have the White House, as Rick say, said from the podium, say, "Oh, it's not a racial slur." What is going on here? What is uh, happening think, uh, well, in this country? Man, let me get to the break. Let me get to the break. Let me get to the break, and then you guys can answer, because I want to know what is going on here. Why is America allowing itself to be gaslighted by these people? We'll be right back. I'm back. 
now with Van Jones, Mike Shields, and Rick Wilson. I, I just want to put this up, Mike, and this is from uh, Navajo Nation President uh, Russell Begay, and he said in a statement today, uh, and party said, in this day and age, all tribal nations still battle insensitive references to our people. The prejudice that Native American people face is an unfortunate historical legacy. And Previously, the National Congress of American Indians has condemned President Trump's use of Pocahontas. I said that in the open of this show. They say it is a slur. Is it a slur? Yeah, especially if they say it is, and I think if they're offended by it, they're the, they're the people of record of that, and we should all listen to that. And so then so how can should... Sarah Sanders stand there at the podium and say, oh, it's not a slur, the president doesn't mean it as a slur, and then, you know, people say, oh, it's fake news, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a slur, and why are you reporting on it, and of course the president didn't mean it that. I mean, come on. Well, really? Don, because her job, Don, the reason she does that is because her job is contingent upon her being a serial congenital liar, in defense of Donald Trump's latest <laughs> outrages. I mean, she probably has some, like, tiny shriveled husk left in her soul where she realizes this is the wrong thing to do, right. but and, she does and, it anyway because it, otherwise every, they'll replace her. Every White House press secretary goes out and advocates on behalf of the president. Barack Obama's right, but few presidents, press secretary... But few, hey, presidents go out and slang racial, few presidents go out and slang over racial code words like that. Few right, presidents go out and crap on the dignity and legacy of, the, of people like these okay. code talkers, these, these, these heroic veterans, and then send their press secretary out to answer questions in a way that isn't saying, wow, the president regrets what he said today, he made a mistake, he truly wishes he had not said that. And since she goes out and she tries to bury people in an avalanche of, of horseshit, every day because this is her job yeah. i get that that's her job i get the white house press secretary often has to defend the indefensible but in very few other cases in our modern political history has the has the white house press secretary had to go out and defend somebody who is slinging stuff that is demonstrably racially charged Rick, mean, you, you, can't, you, you can't and all the critics, where barack obama or george bush went out and said something that was so on the edge like that for a white house press secretary it just doesn't it's just not the case well you if you want to keep your doctor, if you want your doctor, you can keep your doctor as a lie the White House put forward and, and the press secretary kept Yeah, but how racial was that, Mike? But, I mean, come on, man. Look, look you, know, you know, let me, you hey, know that I just, I just listened to you talk for a second. Why don't you let me policy. talk for a second? There's a difference between arguing right, and advocating man. for policy. There's a difference between arguing and advocating no, for policy. No, that's an excellent going point. Out and that's an excellent the point. I would, love to, I, would love to, I would love to expound on that point. Two things. First of all, Rick, your arguments as a critic of the president, would be more cogent if you didn't make them so personal and angry and start calling people congenital liars when they're doing their job. Don't, you can respond well, in a Mike, second. Well, Mike, it's that, that, that she thought. is. Secondly, you're bringing up a very good point between policy and rhetoric, okay? And I think that this is something, uh, 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 Don, you sort of asked, though, what's going on here? What's going on in the country? We just had the best Black Friday and Cyber Monday that we've had in 20 years. The economy is booming. What does There's that have to do with calling growth. someone a racial slur? No, no I, I'm getting to that. that My makes point racism is totally cool. Then no, it mm. does not. Of course, that is not what I'm saying. And don't and say if you're that. saying we just had the best. Those... Listen, uh, no, listen, Mike, this president look, is always look, saying. Let me finish. Mike, 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 all right, all right. <laughs> I hate it when everybody's talking at the same time. <laughs> you can't understand anything. But anyway, welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio at six here in Chicago. It's six twenty-nine. Some places is saying that it's six thirty p.m. Whatever it is, it's a great evening. It's a great night. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Um, it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. And uh, let's see here. All right, you're on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Go right ahead. 
Oh, yes. Hi, George. Um, I actually was Hi. supposed to call in as one of your guests. Yes, I know. I know. We're, we're respecting you. Tamika oh, okay. Williamson? <laughs> yes, sir. And you're going to be... Are you going to be talking about free college or something? Yeah. Or am I wrong? Okay. No, you're correct. You're correct. Okay. Okay. It's, it's been an interesting day, so I'm just like all over the place today. Yeah, it's okay. I am too. I don't know what I'm doing either. I'm just here. Uh, give us a little bit of your background, your bio, and you know, and tell us about your work. Okay. Well, uh, a little bit on my background. I'm an engineer by trade entrepreneur. So instead of me solving problems in corporate America and leading and developing in that space, I lead and develop corporate leaders and develop youth young leaders to help them get college and career ready. Uh, so that's what I do now, which is a great joy and it's something that I enjoy doing. So one of the aspects of that is helping families send their kids to college for free without any student loan debt. Wow, that's that is just marvelous. I'm one of those parents. I would love to know what, because, you know, um, I mean, some of the politicians have been, especially on the Democratic side, the liberal politicians have been talking about free college for ages. And here you are, and you, you've got the, uh, uh, you get results. Yes, I have results. I have uh, been able to help families garnered about $3 million in scholarship aid allowing them to be able to live a stress-free life, not worrying about if their child could finish college. Um, but it's all about strategy, it's all about planning, and it's all about starting uh, early enough. Okay, because I guess what I'm saying is I got a college aid, a college aid uh, child, and uh, we're all, and I'm, I've been talking to him uh, every day about uh, college, you know, uh, going to college and getting loans and all this kind of thing. And he's trying to understand it. I'm trying to understand it because, uh, you know, his future is on the line here. And it's great to have you on the mm -hmm. show. So uh, uh, have you written a book? Yes, I have a book. It's entitled Parents, Send Your Child to College for Free. It's uh, okay. was an Amazon bestseller in multiple uh -huh. categories. Um, but it's still out, it's available out there. It's also available on our website as well. But I've, I've put the roadmap together to at least give parents the foundational information to understand the college admissions process because it's changed, it's different, and there's a science behind it. But basically you're saying that any parent anywhere, no matter what their income, can find a way to send their, college, their, their kids to college for free? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's understanding the science behind college admissions. So understanding how colleges admit students, what they're looking for. Uh -huh. Around the college and universities, make sure you're targeting the right schools. See, we make decisions based off of brand. You know, this school is on TV. I want to go to that school. That school, my friend's going to that school, so I want to go to that school. Well, that school may not be the best school for you because every school don't give money the same way. And that is not what parents are looking at, and that's not how they're making decisions. So that's how and we we're not talking kids. I was going to say we're not talking about scholarships. Well, scholarships is part of it. Scholarships is part of it. 
a lot of times people just look at scholarships. That's just one piece of the puzzle. But you also yeah. got to understand how the school gives financial aid. You know, some schools, like I'll give an example. One of the schools I always like to highlight is Davidson College outside of Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. The way they award money to their students is they do not give student loans at all because their mission makes sure all of their students graduate with zero student loan debt. So they give money out of their endowment fund, which comes in the form of an institutional scholarship aid. So they award based on need merit. Mm -hmm. There's but, not too uh, many schools that set up like that. Okay. But still in all, uh, before, um, obviously the, the, the kid or the child who wants to go to college, they have to have uh, uh, their grades in order in order to get this free money. Well, there's two different types of funds. You got need-based funds, you have merit-based funds. So what I usually tell folks, most of us, especially if you're a middle-class family, you're not yeah. you're not going to qualify for need. I mean, for need. That's just that's that's just probably the reality. So with us knowing that, of course, we're not going to pursue any need-based type of scholarships. Everything that they pursue is going to have to be merit-based. So in that case, it's all about leadership, academics, community service, test scores. That's what I call the four pillars of college admissions and college funding. Those four areas have to be maxed out. Yeah. So then it becomes to it comes down to what type of strategic plan are you going to put together to market your child to those four areas so that they stand out in a positive way. So therefore, in some cases, if you're thinking on sending your kid to a college, you call ahead of the college and you find out what is their admission and loan. And we're not talking about a loan, are we? Yeah, we, we, we want to know how do they award financial aid. That's what we want to know. That's okay. one question parents okay. always uh, research. How do uh, award financial aid? Because financial aid includes everything. It includes the student loans as well as your Pell Grant, um, your work study, and institutional funds. So we need to know how does the school award financial aid. That's one of the first things we should always ask. Do they uh, predominantly fill financial aid packages with government parent loans? If that's how they award financial aid, then that's probably not a school you want to target because that means they're not giving out enough free money for you to keep your child out of debt. Okay. So you say your your book is doing pretty good. Uh, uh, how how would you say uh, there is tons of books out there about free college. How do your books stand out? How the how much it stands out is it go it looks at the entire picture of the mm -hmm. whole college readiness piece from how to select a major so that your child is not changing their major three and four times, which is the average in college. The more you change your major, the more money, the more time wasted, the longer they're in school. They already are taking five to six years on average to graduate. So now we're we're pro prolonging that time. So we deal with the total picture is what I call developing a 360-degree student so that they become a 360-degree leader. So we look major, uh, making a, a decision based on major, understanding how to select school based on fit. It looks at the funding side. So it looks at all angles to allow them to put 
um, a, a good plan in place. We have actionable worksheets. Uh, we have a workbook that goes with it. So it gives them the, the foundational information. It's enough information to allow them to ask the right questions because we give them a list of questions to ask. What are some questions to ask at, at job, at, I mean, college fairs? So we give them the tools they need, along with a checklist on what to be done from starting at eighth grade going all the way to their senior year in college. And all of this is in your book. All of this is in the book. <laughs> do you have and the book they with have can you? And if they want to have personalized, can you read us an excerpt, a small excerpt? I can do that for you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So let's see. What do I want to? I want to go. I had a couple of things I wanted to pull out. So here's one of the uh, mess. I put a message in here to parents. The college success guide would challenge your child to learn more about themselves, how to think and act strategically while focusing their time on the objectives outlined in the book that helps them to perform excellent at the next level. So one, increase their understanding of skills and gifts that they possess, and then how to connect the dots between that and their career interests. Uh, increase their understanding on how to set goals and develop patterns of accountability and success uh, practices. Um, also, to increase their understanding of planning and apply to create their own life plan slash business plan so that they become the driver of their own success. And then increase their understanding of higher education uh, so that the steps that's required to have college success, they can bring it to fruition. So beyond college readiness, it's also incorporating leadership principles and skills that will help them be successful when they transition into the corporate space. Oh, wow. This sounds, this sounds great. And it sounds like something I know a lot of people out there can use. If you having children on their way to college or you're wondering how to come up with uh, uh, money for college, this seems like a, one of the best way to go. What do you think? I I, of course, I agree because, but, but <laughs> of course my, you do. My, yeah, my bigger message, though, I tell people I I see too many kids getting caught up in the one point four trillion dollar student loan debt crisis, and our mission yeah. is to uh, deter kids from going down that pathway so they will have a a better starting place in life. Because what's happening is. Because of the student loan debt crisis, our kids are starting behind the starting line because they are already graduating with debt. On average, students graduate with about $30,000 of student loan debt. That's not including consumer debt yeah. they may have. But the other yeah. side of that is the parents also have debt because parents are now doing uh, parent loans, take uh, loans on their homes to pay for education. The lack of knowledge, people perish. Because of the lack of knowledge, we're going in debt, and now the whole family's in debt. So when you look at the stats around uh, the millennials, how they're starting later in life and having kids, yeah. they're staying at home longer. Mm -hmm. Why? Because yeah. they have debt. They don't have the disposable yeah. income they're on. They can't buy homes, and they can't buy the cars they want. That's the reality of what we're looking at right now, unless we change it. It is. It is. You're right. You're exactly right. It is scary because there's so many kids graduate from college 
and some of them don't even graduate from college. And they go to college, but they may yeah. drop out sooner or later. But that debt is still with them. Am I correct? Yeah, that debt is still with them. Only less than thirty percent of the people ever pay off their student loan debt. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look the at the default comes. rate; it's higher than before. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, uh, Tamika Williamson on the George Wilder Jr. Show about free college folks. Uh, you you be interested because, like I said before, I have a, a college age child, and and we're thinking, and he's going to be graduating high school from high school next year, and we're looking forward to college, and and I think this would probably help him and help me to figure out how we're going to pay for this thing. And if it's free, then it's, you know, we have to do the right thing in order to try to get him in college and get him to graduate debt free as so many other uh, parents out here. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. I'm saying absolutely. George, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Have you guys been applying for scholarships? We haven't been applying for anything. We've been getting a lot of information on colleges. I mean, I've had I've got a lot of information on colleges that that are willing to accept him, but I haven't really talked to anybody about financial aid as of yet. And what I want to do, I want to, uh, and I hope a lot of people who are listening out there go out and grab your book, because you sound like you you know a lot about it, and you sound like, you sound like as if you were an expert and you know what you're talking about. And I I want to grab this book because um uh definitely uh, around 20 early 2018 maybe january 2018 we're going to really be looking into colleges you know um i've been putting it off putting it but, off we've been putting it off you can't put it off much longer huh well but george you you can you don't the looking for college is one part but the scholarship piece private scholarships you know like the gates your burger king uh your state form scholarships you should be looking for that now People don't realize you can start looking for scholarships as early as third grade. Yeah, so I, there I are realize scholarships that. you can apply for now. Yeah, I'm, uh, that's why I'm saying I'm, I want to get you a book so I can get a lot more detail on this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Give us give us uh, uh, the name of your book. Uh, the book, again, is Parents Send Your Child to College for Free, Successful Strategies that Earn Scholarships. Um, so if they go to collegeforfree.info, it will take them to the page, and they'll see all the different products. And everything actually is still on sale for the Cyber Monday, Black Friday promotions. So right now they can get basically two for one. They get the book and the workbook for only $19. Okay, and you're saying that this is also available on Amazon? The book is available on Amazon. They won't get the promotional price on Amazon, though, but it is on Amazon. Okay. And is, is it's under your name, Tamika Williamson? Yes. Okay. Is there, there any – is okay, we're going to um, – we're just about running out of time. Is there anything you would like to say to my audience about – that you haven't said about uh, free college? So here's the thing I want you, everybody to remember. The time to be ready is not the time to get ready to stay ready and in order for us to stay ready we got to have a plan we got to have a strategy on how we're going to do college that's the only way you get results you cannot do college half 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 hazardly you got to have a plan and a strategy to make it work 
All right. Thanks for being on the show. Hope you come back. Um, are you writing another book? You're going to be writing a second one. Um, I probably will. I've already had to publish a couple of books. Um, right now, uh-huh. it's it's on the other book is on the back burner, but it's in work. All right. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. Bye bye. All right, Tamika Williams on the George Wilder Jr. Show talking about free college. If you're like me and you have a young kid on the way to college, this is something you should really, really pick up, folks. All right, we're going to be right back. We're going to do this drum roll. wanted was a much-deserved promotion, and he told me to get up on the desk and spread them. All the men in my office wrote down on a piece of paper the sexual favors that I could do for them. All I had asked for was an office with a window. I asked for his advice about how I could get a bill out of committee. He asked me if I brought my knee pads. Those are just a few of the horrific stories that I heard from women over the last year as I've been investigating workplace sexual harassment. And what I've found out is that it's an epidemic across the world. It's a horrifying reality for millions of women when all they want to do every day is go to work. Sexual harassment doesn't discriminate. You can wear a skirt, hospital scrubs. Army fatigues. You can be young or old, married or single, black or white. You can be a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent. I heard from so many women, police officers, members of our military, financial assistants, actors, engineers, lawyers, bankers, accountants, teachers, journalists. Sexual harassment, it turns out, is not about sex. It's about power, and about what somebody does to you to try and take away your power. And I'm here today to encourage you to know that you can take that power back. On July 6, 2016. I jumped off a cliff all by myself. It was the scariest moment of my life—an excruciating choice to make. I fell into an abyss all alone, not knowing what would be below. But then something miraculous started to happen. Thousands of women started reaching out to me to share their own stories of pain and agony and shame. They told me that I became their voice. They were voiceless, and suddenly I realized that even in the 21st century, every woman still has a story. Like Joyce, a flight attendant supervisor whose boss, in meetings every day, would tell her about the porn that he'd watched the night before while drawing penises on his notepad. She went to complain. She was called crazy and fired. Like Joanne, Wall Street banker, her male colleagues would call her that vile c-word every day. She complained, labeled a troublemaker, never to do another Wall Street deal again. 
like Elizabeth, an army officer. Her male subordinates would wave one-dollar bills in her face and say, "Dance for me." And when she went to complain to a major, he said, "What? Only one dollar? You're worth at least five or ten." After reading, replying to all, and crying over all of these emails, I realized I had so much work to do. Here are the startling facts: one in three women that we know of have been sexually harassed in the workplace. Seventy-one percent of those incidences never get reported. Why? Because when women come forward, they're still called liars and troublemakers, and demeaned, and trashed, and demoted, and blacklisted, and fired. Reporting sexual harassment can be, in many cases, career-ending. Of all the women that reached out to me, almost none are still today working in their chosen profession, and that is outrageous. I too was silent in the beginning. It happened to me at the end of my year as Miss America, when I was meeting with a very high-ranking TV executive in New York City. I thought he was helping me throughout the day, making a lot of phone calls. We went to dinner, and in the back seat of a car, he suddenly lunged on top of me and stuck his tongue down my throat. I didn't realize that to get into the business, silly me. He also intended to get into my pants. And just a week later, when I was in Los Angeles, meeting with a high-ranking publicist, it happened again. Again in a car, and he took my neck in his hand, and he shoved my head so hard into his crotch I couldn't breathe. These are the events that suck the life out of all of your self-confidence. These are the events that, until recently. I didn't even call assault. Thank you. And this is why we have so much work to do. After my years, Miss America, I continued to meet a lot of well-known people, including Donald Trump. When this picture was taken in 1988, nobody could have ever predicted where we'd be today. Me fighting to end sexual harassment in the workplace. He, President of the United States, in spite of it. And shortly thereafter, I got my first gig in television news in Richmond, Virginia. Check out that confident smile with the bright pink jacket. Not so much the hair. I was working so hard to prove that blondes have a lot of brains. But ironically, one of the first stories I covered was the Anita Hill hearings in Washington D.C., and shortly thereafter, I too was sexually harassed in the workplace. I was covering a story in rural Virginia, and when we got back into the car, my cameraman started saying to me, wondering how much I had enjoyed when he touched my breasts when he put the microphone on me, and it went downhill from there. I was bracing myself against the passenger door. This was before cell phones. 
I was petrified. I actually envisioned myself rolling outside of that door as the car was going 50 miles per hour, like I'd seen in the movies, and wondering how much it would hurt. When the story about Harvey Weinstein came to light, one of the most well-known movie moguls in all of Hollywood, the allegations were horrific. But so many women came forward, and it made me realize what I had done meant something. He had such a lame excuse. He said he was a product of the 60s and 70s, and that that was the culture then. Yeah. That was the culture then, and unfortunately, it still is. Why? Because of all the myths that are still associated with sexual harassment. Women should just take another job and find another career. Yeah, right. Tell that to the single mom working two jobs, trying to make ends meet, who's also being sexually harassed. Women, they bring it on themselves by the clothes that we wear and the makeup that we put on. Yeah, I guess those hoodies that Uber engineers wear in Silicon Valley are just so provocative. Women make it up. Yeah, because it's so fun and rewarding to be demeaned and taken down. I would know. Women bring these claims because they want to be famous and rich. Our own president said that. I bet Taylor Swift. One of the most well-known and richest singers in the world didn't need more money or fame when she came forward with her groping case for one dollar, and I'm so glad she did. Breaking news: the untold story about women and sexual harassment in the workplace. Women just want a safe, welcoming, and harass-free environment. That's it. So how do we go about getting our power back? I have three solutions. Number one, we need to turn bystanders and enablers into allies. Ninety-eight percent of United States corporations right now have sexual harassment training policies. Seventy percent have prevention programs, but still, overwhelmingly. Bystanders and witnesses don't come forward. In 2016, the Harvard Business Review called it the bystander effect. And yet, remember 9/11? Millions of times we've heard, "If you see something, say something." Imagine how impactful that would be if we carried that through to bystanders in the workplace regarding sexual harassment. To recognize and interrupt these incidences, to confront the perpetrators to their face, to help and protect the victims. This is my shout out to men. We need you in this fight, and to women too, enablers, to allies. Number two, change the laws. How many of you out there know whether or not you have a forced arbitration clause in your employment contract? Not a lot of hands, and if you don't know, you should. And here's why: Time magazine calls it right there on the screen, the teeny tiny little print in contracts that keeps sexual harassment claims unheard.
Here's what it is. Forced arbitration takes away your Seventh Amendment right to an open jury process. It's secret. You don't get the same witnesses or depositions. In many cases, the company picks the arbitrator for you. There are no appeals, and only 20% of the time does the employee win. But again, it's secret, so nobody ever knows what happened to you. This is why I've been working so diligently on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. to change the laws, and here's what I tell the senators. Sexual harassment is apolitical. Before somebody harasses you, they don't ask you if you're a Republican or Democrat first. They just do it, and this is why we should all care. Number three, be fierce. It starts when we stand tall and we build that self-confidence and we stand up and we speak up and we tell the world what happened to us. I know it's scary, but let's do it for our kids. Let's stop this for the next generations. I know that I did it for my children. They were paramount in my decision-making about whether or not I would come forward. My beautiful children, my 12-year-old son, Christian, my 14-year-old daughter, Kaya. And boy, did I underestimate them. The first day of school last year happened to be the day my resolution was announced, and I was so anxious about what they would face. And my daughter came home from school, and she said, Mommy, so many people asked me what happened to you over the summer. And then she looked at me in the eyes, and she said, And Mommy... I was so proud to say that you were my mom. And two weeks later, when she finally found the courage to stand up to two kids who'd been making her life miserable, she came home to me and she said, Mommy, I found the courage to do it because I saw you do it. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. It is all about making the world a better place. Join me.
I'm Keith Olbermann, and this is The Resistance. I am confident now, even more so than I have been throughout the last year, that this nightmare presidency of Donald John Trump will end prematurely and end soon, and I am thus also confident that this is the correct moment to end this series of commentaries. The important stuff first. There are seven routes in front of Trump. Each inevitably ends in his impeachment or resignation. The first, the likeliest, became a thousand times more likely with the Thanksgiving news of a possible deal between Robert Mueller and General Michael Flynn. As I reported here as long ago as April 4th, the most specifically qualified expert alive on the subject of prosecuting a president, my friend, the Nixon White House counsel John Dean, put it to me very simply. Mueller is not shooting down. Mueller does not make a deal with Flynn to get Paul Manafort. He does not make a deal with Flynn to get Jared Kushner. He does not make a deal with Flynn to get Trump Jr. Mueller makes a deal with Flynn to get Donald Trump. Period. The Flynn deal report suggests Mueller has completely assembled the backbone of his case and is now just hanging the meat from it. And just as importantly, if Flynn has merely considered a deal from Mueller, it almost necessarily means Flynn either doesn't believe he would get a pardon from Trump or that Mueller, as I've also reported here, has succeeded in finding a way around Trump's pardon power. And either of these near certainties spell Trump's doom. So that's the most obvious of the seven ways for Trump to go now. Mueller really will get him on Russia. It will be ugly, and it will tear this country nearly apart, but it will be necessary. The second way is, as I've also repeatedly suggested here, that Mueller doesn't really need to prove anything about Trump and Russian sabotage of the election. There seems to be so much obstruction of justice, from the firing of James Comey to the lies about Trump Jr.'s meetings with the Russians, that it's hard to pick out a key player in the Trump inner circle who could not be guilty of it. Trump could be impeached on just obstruction of justice and a few lesser charges. Nixon was about to be. Or there is a third way. We could be spared the trauma of a Russia impeachment or an obstruction of justice impeachment as we were spared it with Nixon. If Trump is smart or just sufficiently scared enough and he resigns, or if he isn't, those around him who could still sell themselves by selling him out will force him to resign. A modified version of this, of course, is the fourth possible outcome that even if Mueller is months away from his denouement, the Republicans will impeach or remove Trump by spring purely to save their own asses. The state elections in Virginia and Oklahoma earlier this month show what could face Republican incumbents nationwide next November. Not only were Democratic victories overwhelming, but half of them were little morality plays. The 26-year-old lesbian beats the Republican in the district Trump won by nearly 40 points a year ago. The transgendered candidate in Virginia beats the guy who wrote an anti-equality bathroom bill. The boyfriend of a news reporter shot to death on camera beats the Republican pro-NRA candidate. I'll say it again. Richard Nixon was not forced out of office by Democrats, not really even by Watergate. Democrats controlled the Senate and the House every day Richard Nixon was president. They could have impeached him at any point. He resigned when the leading Republicans went into the White House and told him that not only would he be impeached and convicted, but he would take all of them down with him, and they were not going to let him do that. Uh, so that's Nixon the fourth wasn't a way out. Trump becomes more um, of an albatross to Republicans, and more importantly, more of a rallying cry to Democrats, and the Republicans remove him before the midterms, and then, boastfully, run for re-election on having removed him. 
The fifth end game is the same thing, only faster. The Republicans around him pull off that palace coup that is perfectly legal under the 25th Amendment, and Mike Pence and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell eject Trump by simply stating he is unfit and getting their majorities to agree he's unfit. And if you don't Garland. think Pence and Ryan and McConnell would do that, you didn't see Trump's crazy tweet about the Man of the Year award or this thing in front of the Native Americans on Monday, and you, you don't know Pence and Ryan and McConnell. The sixth means by which Trump leaves early is, of course, that if the Republicans don't impeach Trump before the midterms, the Democrats will be able to after the midterms. If Virginia and New Jersey and Oklahoma are indicators, the Democrats could take the House and might need as few as 25 vulnerable Republicans in the Senate to vote guilty to remove Trump from office. But now there is a seventh new path to destruction for Trump, and it has bubbled up from the sewer of his life recently. And even with how Teflon he has been on this particular subject, it seems hard to believe the dam won't break. His sexual conduct as not one snowball, but a decade's worth of them have come down that hill, wiping out all the sleaze bags and emboldening and empowering the victims. It seems impossible to believe that some claimant somewhere does not have tangible evidence against Trump and that they won't say to hell with it and break one of those non-disclosure agreements and Trump will suddenly be envying Harvey Weinstein. Trump himself inadvertently has hinted at this. The New York Times buried the lead on this over the weekend. But it reported that earlier this year, Trump told a senator that the Access Hollywood pussy grabber tape was a fake. And he has said the same thing again recently to a White House staffer. He's obviously trying to work the refs of public opinion in advance for whatever is coming next, from a woman here or from Russia. So, I don't see any way out for Trump. Seven freight trains rushing at him. He might avoid a few. He might avoid six of them. He's not going to dance his way out from under all seven. And we, I think, should try to put ourselves in the mindset of those Americans who knew Richard Nixon was guilty as hell after John Dean finished testifying on June 27, 1973. But we're all left wondering if there would ever be a way to prove it. And we're left listening to a majority of the country saying Dean was lying and left watching nearly the entirety of the gullible news media saying, this was nonsense. Why would a president, even one as crazy as Nixon, ever do this? And more importantly, even if he were somehow guilty, how would he ever be dumb enough to leave any evidence of his guilt? And 16 days later, it turned out Virtually everything in the Oval Office had been taped, and the ballgame was over, even though it would last another 13 months. Well, this ballgame is also over, and I don't think it's going to last another 13 <laughs> months. And so this series is over. This was intended as something temporary, a two-month project. I'm sorry to hear that, man. Sorry to politics. hear that, really. And instead it became 187 commentaries and around 225,000 words they were and good. something approaching they were 400 million views. And I am proud of it, and I repudiate none of it. And it has been my privilege to do it, and I'm especially proud to have done these videos for free and for charity. But frankly, I have not enjoyed one minute of it. As I'm certain it has also been for you, for me, it has been unadulterated pain and revulsion and horror. The process has become nearly 24-7, and I've said so much that I can and have recycled old commentaries from months ago, and they have been fully applicable to breaking news. We've come full circle to such a complete degree that on Sunday, Trump tweeted a complaint about, quote, Russia, 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 
the title of the 46th episode of The Resistance from last March 14th was, quote, Russia, Russia, Russia. I've made my point. So now that I think the outcomes, the seven different inevitable outcomes, are unavoidable, I'd like to go back and enjoy some of my life again, and I'm going to. No illness, no scandal, no firing, just I've said what I've had to say. It was as obvious as I made it seem. I give my work everything I can, so it's not like I can dial it back. And I think even this dim-witted world of American political TV reporting, which is still calculating how to get Trump's idiot supporters to watch their networks and still waiting for Trump to pivot, even it can carry this the rest of the way. So I am retiring from political commentary in all media venues. This is not to say a bed of roses and reconciliation awaits us. The post-Trump America will be relieved of his prodigious evil, but in its place it will have Trump as living martyr. That prodigious evil and rank hypocrisy and immorality of his supporters, perhaps a third of us, will not vanish with him, and I'm not sure that the democracy has not been damaged too much to deal with their lawless, unprincipled rebellion, and I do not see this country's politics truly healing in the next 30 or 40 years. But at least the bleeding will be staunched. And we will have a chance to alter a phrase I heard somewhere to make America, America again. Thank you for all the kind words and all the support. Have fun storming the castle. My work here is done. Matter of fact, so is Trump's. Resist, remove, peace. It's going to be really, really something now that Keith Overman, as you just heard, he's quitting. He's quitting his commentary. He's quitting uh, uh, all of it. The videos that he, you know, produced on YouTube, his, his YouTube videos, uh, he, he's leaving the scene. Wow. And he's saying that Trump <laughs> doesn't have long in office. You know, at at this point, I don't give a damn about Trump. It's just that Keith Olbermann is such a great voice for the American people. It, it's just so sad to see him leave like this. Is he being pushed out? He he stated that he wasn't being fired. There was no illness. He just wants to enjoy some of his life. Wow. I thought this was his life. I'm gonna miss his commentaries. His latest one. I mean, he's got so many. Uh, he's got so many uh, commentaries up there. Maybe over 200 of them. So. Basically, any one of them could, as he said, could be breaking news as of today, you know, because Trump is going around in circles. <laughs> you know, he's all Trump's. I mean, there's you can't beat anybody like Trump pulling something out of his ass. He talks out of his ass. I've said that uh, a, a zillion times. He'll say things and throw it up at the wall, see if it sticks. If it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't stick, it doesn't stick. You know, he just pulls something right out of his butt and just says something dumb and stupid. It makes world news. And I'm going to miss um, uh, uh, Keith Olverman, the guy you just got through hearing. I'm going to miss him, uh, his commentaries, his thoughts, his, his intelligence, his wit. <laughs> you know what? But he'll always be on this show because I've gotten him on. He'll always be on this show. He'll always be because I've gotten his recorded messages on the show. So every now and then I'm going to, you know, just click on Keith Olbermann and let him have his way, even though he basically has retired or just, you know, I don't, you know what, 
Keith Olbermann, he's a newsman. He's a reporter. And I don't think he can stay retired and gone for long from this. He loves this. This is, you know, I mean, he said he wasn't doing, he did what he did for charity. Not, not money. So he was the American people. And I want to thank him for that. I, you know, I want and for that. And he's been getting a lot of will like that and adulation. And he and he also deserves it because he's a great moderator. I remember him uh, when he was at MSNBC. They fired him just like they fired um, a lot of other uh, uh, progressives because they were just too liberal. And um, Keith Olbermann was one of them. And so he found his own venue where he didn't have any bosses, no managers. No one could fire him because it was his own thing that he was doing. He was working for himself, so nobody could fire him. The only person that could fire him w- would be Keith Overman. <laughs> Keith Overman could only fire himself, you know. And that's what I've been talking about for a long time. Stop working for someone else and work for yourself. Then that way you you don't have to worry about people firing you or or uh, disciplining you or uh, micromanaging. You know, you if you, you know if you know what I'm talking about, then you uh, you understand what I'm trying to say here. Um, it, it's nothing like being your own boss. It, it's nothing like that. You know, uh, it's nothing like having millions of people or uh, come to you and ask you for a favor, ask you for something that they want. You know, but uh, before you can open up your own business, you make you have to make sure that. Just like I just got through saying, you have to make sure that you have something people want. If you have something that people want that can make their lives better, they're going to tear your door down, you know, especially if it's free. (laughs) Everybody wants something for free. A lot of times, you know, uh, speaking of things that are for free, if you've gone online and you went to some website, I'm not talking about scamming, but you went to some website or you go to a lot of websites or you see advertisement on your web page and it's always and some of those advertisements say well this is free that's free do this click here it's free this item is free you get this free you wind up clicking on these websites and nothing is free a lot of times they'll just say it's free just to get you to go to the website and just figure out if it's free and you like what's on the website you're going to pull out your wallet you know, a lot. Of, I, I tell my son, and I've told my family, nothing is free. I, this is free, Daddy. This is free. No, it's not. <laughs> Read the small print. It's not free, even if it says it's free. You know, uh, everything is about money. Everything is about profit. Nothing's free anymore. If it's free, there's, there has to be a catch. There has to be a catch. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me right here. I'm still um, in the midst of wondering if actually Steve, I mean, Keith Overman is actually quitting, quitting. So if he quits, that means a lot of the guys that I looked up to, a lot of the guys who were inspirations for me for getting this show have left the broadcasting booth. Um. Keith Overman. I think Bill Press is still around. Um, there's one guy, um, I can't think of his name, but a lot of these guys that I've listened to, they're on Ring of Fire. And, uh, you know, 
like Ed Schultz, for instance. I used to I used to admire him so much. I thought he was one of the greatest people in the world, the greatest one of the greatest radio hosts in the world because he cared so much for people. He cared so much for people. He went out of his way to um, give people a voice, and they fired him. They fired him, you know. But um, and then he got his own web show, and now I, I believe he's a part of a group on the uh, Ring of Fire network. Uh, you can go watch his videos on Ring of Fire, and he's always getting in their asses. I mean, he he it used to tear into him like like Anna Navarro. She used to tear into him too, but she's got a little bit beside herself. So. Anyway, Tamika Williamson on the George Wilder Jr. Show talking about free college. I'm going to check it out because, like I said before, I do have a college-aged child, and and uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not the uh, brightest egg in the barrel. But uh, you know, did I say egg? Okay. All right, uh, we're going to check it out. Anyway, check her book out. It's called. Uh, let's see. If, uh, did I write it down? If I okay, it's called "Parents Send Your Child to College for Free." That's straightforward, right? For free. I mean, if you're a, if you're middle class, if you're poor or damn near poor, check this book out. If you have a child, uh, I I'm going to do that because uh, you know you try to save money every at any way that you can if you can. And she said, I remember her saying that uh, it didn't matter what your income was if you know how to work the system. Basically, uh, you can get your child into college for free and scholarships. They do um, play a part, but not the entire thing. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I had a great time today on the show. There are sometimes I come on the show, I sound great, but I might feel miserable. <laughs> but I feel great, and I hope I don't sound miserable. Um, it has really been fun on the show today. I really <laughs> yeah, I did. I I totally enjoyed it. I totally enjoyed it, and I enjoyed Keith. Uh, I keep thinking, I keep harping back to Keith. I said, "Wow," because I love listening to him. I, I I listen to him almost every day. His little videos, uh, his little uh, uh, commentary that he gives, and uh, I try to have his commentaries on the show too. Because I, I, I do respect him and I do like him and I think he's one of the greatest talents there is. And I just don't think the guy can just stay retired or just stay. I couldn't. I just I have to do something. I mean, I, I have to keep busy. I mean, you know, I, and I'm pretty sure that's one of the things uh, uh, Keith is going to be doing. He's going to be he, he may be, you know, retired for maybe two or three months, but he's going to have to get back in to the to the the uh, full phase. Hey there, friends and fans. This is George Wilder Jr. of the George Wilder Jr. Show. <laughs> I want you to enjoy my fictional writings located on Amazon and elsewhere. Uh, the website is www.amazon.com slash author or go to the Amazon website and type my name in the text bar above to either order or download a book, a story, essays, novels, novelettes, whatever you want to do. And I want to thank you very much for that. And as always, good reading. This is George Wilder Jr. And keep listening.
there's always more to come. All right. Thank you, everybody. All right. It's crunch time for disaster tax plan. They're trying to get this uh, tax uh, passed. So Donald Trump, Donald Trump is eager to sign and he's eager to sign anything so he can have something to say that he he's uh, done something during his time as president. So far, he's done nothing. He he's done absolutely nothing. Senate Republicans looking uh, to play let's make a deal or on tax cuts. Let's make a deal on tax cuts. And those tax cuts, folks, you know, they're all about hurting the poor, hurting the middle class, hurting working people, hurting people who own their own homes, uh, hurting, uh, stopping you from being able to sue your bank or have a complaint against your bank, you know, and that to me is just bad. I mean, somebody goes in your bank account, steal your money. You can't, uh, you, you can't sue nobody for it. You can't sue the bank for it. You know, you can't sue it. This is Donald Trump's war on Americans and it just have to stop. It has to stop. Well, Keith is saying, giving us a little hope. <laughs> Keith is saying that Donald Trump is finished. Uh, that's a little hope. But, you know, Donald Trump always seems to, uh, he's like a snake. He just slithers his, I can't even say slither, his way out of um, his enormous, his enormous messes. Oh.
everybody for tuning in this week. Well, Junior Show. I want to thank my guest, Nico Williamson. Make sure you go out there and get her book on free college. Go to Amazon. Go to her website. She's giving all that good stuff here. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a great evening.